So uh, we're going to talk about uh, new information from new places today. Uh, we, we left off last week um, uh, talking about science in the New Testament and just kind of how how scientific inquiry and scientific different ways of thinking kind of bubbled up in Acts and other other places in the New Testament. And I'm working toward in a in a in a couple of weeks to to have more pointed discussions about some specific things that we're facing as a, as a group of people, uh, both today and on the, the very, very near horizon. I always like to start off with just some fun and interesting things that I saw this week. Um, uh, so uh, uh, I, I saw a graph that was comparing the world population uh, in 2010, uh, was around 6 billion, maybe a little bit north of that. But, uh, I, mean, I think I knew this sort of intuitively, um, but it never seems like when I'm sitting in traffic that North America comprises 5% of the world's population. It always seems like it's a lot more than that. It's just, there's a lot of people out there, uh, and we're a small little tidewage of the, of the people out there. Yeah, it, um, and, and, and then projected uh, the people who study these things and extrapolate lines and things like that, it's actually going to be a smaller pie wedge of the, of the world uh, in, in about 30 years. Which I find, that, I find that somewhat amazing, somewhat troubling, and just somewhat, uh, just more than, more than that, interesting. Uh, there's a lot of people on this planet, and we're not a lot of them here. Um, so that, I saw that was an interesting pie chart. I saw that uh, the pie chart that shows what percentage of Japan is Japan. Um, I thought was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's 100%. 100% of Japan is Japan. Um, this is someone that really hits home with me and Ginger. Um, time spent looking for a movie is in the blue, and time watching a movie is in orange there. Um, that, that, is, that is probably true. Well, yeah, yeah it, we all do it. But one of the fun things is that when you're looking for movies, you can come across funny things as you're scrolling through Netflix, like Mr. Rogers shooting someone in the back of the I thought this was an interesting, probably the most accurate pie chart ever, was showing the sky, the front, the sunny side of the pyramid, and the shady side of the pyramid. <laughs> um, but this, is, this was the one that I think had a lot to do with what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and, and, and that is, if we're going to be talking about people like Columbus and Magellan, like, why were they doing what they were doing? Why, why, were, were they just intrepid Neil Armstrong sort of explorers? Well, no, not, not really. No, they, were, they were after something. Um, and we're going to talk about that. What they were after was this right here. And this is a little busy, and this, this, this x-axis kind of bothers me because this is... 1800 to where we are today, and this is AD 0 to 1800, so it's all kind of squashed there. Um, I can't verify that every uh, bit of information in there is true, um, but I, I saw that in a couple of different, uh, couple of different publications. The gist of it is this. Um, a lot of talk about China and India and the economy these days, um, and uh, for the past 200 years, the, the European, North American powers have been the world's largest economies, have been driving, driving the economy 
uh, of the planet. The interesting thing is, and this is no secret to anybody, China is catching up or surpassing. Okay, that's fine. When you look at it over 2,000 years, the last 200 years has been the anomaly, not the last few years. The anomaly has been where China and India didn't have the biggest economies on the planet. Um, and part of that is just the sheer number of human beings that are in those places. I mean, you know, just you don't have to be having too much per capita economic output if you have as China did a census in, in AD 0, and they counted 60 million people um, dwarfing the size of the Roman Empire at that time. But I think the point is, is that there was a lot, going back to our pie chart that we looked at a second ago, there were a lot of people in Asia at the time. There were a lot of people, a lot of things going on, a lot of discoveries going on in Asia. And most of our story that we talk about scientifically and theologically, we we just skip over. It's kind of like we have Revelation, and then it's blah 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 Reformation, fifteen hundred years later. Um, and there was a lot going on on this planet for a lot of human beings during that fifteen hundred years. And a lot of what was going on explains a good chunk of the Reformation, a good chunk of the age of exploration. Um, and I think it poses some interesting questions to us as Jesus people uh, about the, the things that were going on. The difference with engineering. Well, the, the Chinese well, discovered gunpowder, the West put it in the cannon. The, the, it's, uh, uh, if you want to have the conversation about engineers make all the difference in the world, they invented the printing press, right? But they printed a bunch. They, what they printed was a bunch of uh, too many letters. A <laughs> yes. Well, that's a whole different. That, that writing cropped up in several different places in the world, uh, everywhere on the planet where it developed independently. It was symbolic language, except the Hebrew alphabet, which I think is fascinating. Um, but uh, that's, a, that's a whole different, the, yes, they invented printing press, they invented gunpowder, uh, they invented uh, eyeglasses, they, the, all sorts of things that they invented um, that I don't want to say they got perfected in Europe, but they certainly got co-opted, they certainly got, you know, there were, there were people going, that seems, that, I can make some money with that, you know, or that, that could genuinely help. Um, and. Yes, and that's a fascinating discussion, and you may have just derailed class for everybody. So, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> um, are China and India mentioned in the Bible? Anybody want to take a guess? Yes, uh, you think so? You think so? I'll give you a hint. Um, the furthest east, a setting, what was the furthest east a setting in the Bible was? Yeah, Esther, Africa. Esther, Asia, um, yeah, Syria, Daniel. They were all in Persia, right? Persia, Persia was the furthest east. Esther starts off this way. Uh, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush, stretching from India to Sudan, basically. Um, 
it's, it, it, it establishes the setting as this goes as far east as our, as our map goes. Um, so I'm going to tell you how grand and wonderful Xerxes was. And, and the Persian Empire was, uh, uh, was, was pretty amazing, amazingly sized. Um, uh, they, they, they talk about uh, uh, later in Esther, they mention uh, India again. It's just the same India to Kush again. Uh, I think it's interesting on the 23rd day of the third month, um, something was going on that they issued an edict, and it was, I think, right around the equinox, probably, um, to make it a little bit more significant to them. China's a little bit different. Um, China's obviously further east. There are some people who think that the prophecy in Isaiah, behold, those, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Uh, is, uh, Sinim could have been a uh, Hebrewization of uh, Q-I-N, the, 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 the Qin dynasty in, in China. I don't know if that's true or not. I just know that China is not north and it's not west of where he was writing. Um, but there are, there are people who have researched this smarter than me, and they, they say that that's probably a reference to uh, smart guys to the east of us somewhere. Um, Revelation talks about making way for the kings of the east. Um, so it's there, uh, maybe, sort of. Uh, so kind of put a pin in that for, for a minute because uh, it, it's a day late and I apologize because I, I know we all wanted to celebrate Leap Day yesterday um, <laughs> but we'll have another chance four years from now, don't worry um, so, uh, so yesterday was Leap Day and I think we all generally know the science behind Leap Day that there's a tropical, what's called a tropical year um, takes 365 and a quarter days for us to go from the same point around the sun to the same point around the sun. Uh, so a common year is a little bit, we, we wind up just a little bit offset from there. And then in a leap year, we, we, we leap past that point by, uh, by one small arc. Uh, by the way, the reason that a circle has 360 degrees is that the Babylonians and some others uh, they, they knew that every year always had 360. It was an e easily divisible day, and so they would just kind of start over. They would say a year has 360 days, um, and then there's five or six sometimes at, at the end. Um, so, and, 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 and it's, it's <laughs> But you wind up with a lot of our uh, ancient observances not tied to December the 25th, but they're tied to the first full moon after the equinox each year. And, and Ramadan in the Islamic faith has, has a similar sort of pegging to the basis of the moon versus the, uh, uh, versus the uh, easily observable equinoxes or solstices. Um, uh, and that's, that's how people could observe times together. Uh, is that, they didn't have to look at a calendar and say, is it December 25th? Was it a leap year this year? They can just say, well, we just had the equinox, and here comes the full moon, so we know that we're going to be celebrating Passover at this time, um, which is why Easter is always on a different Sunday. We never can remember 
um, at what time uh, at what time uh, of the year is it going to be hot or cold um, or raining? Um, we're just going to stay, sit here and stare. <laughs> Shutting down. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, all that all that to say. Uh, uh, that is some of Isaac Newton's writings where he was sketching out uh, some of this. And it was well known by the time Isaac Newton was alive that, that the 365 days didn't equal up to the number of days in a week, didn't equal up to the number of months in a year. So we just need to figure out some way to, uh, to, make, this, to make this right. Isaac Newton was born on Christmas Day, 1642, if you live in England. If you lived in Germany, he was born on January the 5th. Um, if you lived in, uh, in the Netherlands, he was born a little bit later in January. This was during a time where they were trying to sync up, Europe was trying to sync up their calendars because people had been tracking things differently. And it actually took uh, uh, governments getting together and the church getting together to say, all right, here's what day it actually is all over. Europe. Of course, the Chinese had their own calendar that they were they were working with. Uh, that was uh, they didn't they didn't have that problem. Um, but yes, it's possible that time began as we know it uh, on Christmas Day, 1642. The genius scientifically of Isaac Newton was he he dis, he determined that time, the measurement of time, is an independent variable, and so you can measure the speed at which an object falls, describing it by time. Um, and part of that is that up until that point, our timekeeping devices were maybe hourglasses, maybe candles burning, but most likely just, just the sun going across the sky. Um, and so our, our ability to measure time uh, wasn't, wasn't really there. We couldn't figure out what longitude was until we could measure time a little bit better. We'd always tell what latitude we were at because of the North Star. Longitude was a uh, trickier thing. Um, and nobody really got that ironed out until the train started running in the later 1800s. Um, Isaac Newton, we, what we know is a drop, what we don't know is an ocean. Uh, I can calculate the motion of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of people. How about that? <laughs> I like that one a lot. No great discovery was ever made without a bold guess. We account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever. Isaac Newton wrote a lot more about theology than he did science, by the way. It seems probable to me that God, in the beginning, formed matter in solid, messy, hard, impenetrable, massy, hard, impenetrable, impenetrable, movable particles. From these... Uh, pictures, uh, I think there's only one conclusion that you can come to, and that is, is that Isaac Newton had fantastic hair. <laughs> he had absolutely great, great hair. Kepler, yes, he discovered planetary motion, but he had a really great beard up on top. Uh, uh, Galileo had a really good, like a Civil War general kind of beard going for him, and then Newton. Um, so if you want to talk about the science of yesterday versus science of the past century. Einstein, Salt, and Brown just don't measure up when it comes to hair. <laughs> you get, a side, you get uh, uh, Einstein, you know, 
know, saw if he's got sideburns that really just are out of control, and let's not even talk about <laughs> Possibly the greatest scientific mind uh, of the last century. Uh, uh, so, uh, who, who knows who she is? Hidden figures. Hidden figures, yeah, yeah. We, we're all like, she's from Hidden Figures. Yeah, the Johnson she did math. She was a mathematician uh, and uh, helped us go to the moon with Newtonian physics. Um, uh, uh, thank you, Isaac Newton, for the, giving us the equations and, and uh, you know, she got a shot to, to use those equations, to engineer those equations. Um, and, uh, and that's a good, that's a good thing. <clears throat> what, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, th there are billions of Katherine Johnsons out there, potential Katherine Johnsons out there, um, who just need a shot. And, and our world is going to be better if we give them a shot. Um, if we give people <clears throat> access to education and to health, um, the chances of having a Katherine Johnson or a Desmond Tutu um, uh, or a Nelson Mandela are so much greater than if it's just us here. Uh, and the chances of our world being better and our children's world and our grandchildren's world being better uh, are much greater if, uh, if we give more access to Katherine Johnson's uh, girls are capable of doing everything men are capable of doing. Uh, sometimes they have more imagination than men. Sadly, that was a radical thought at the time that that was said. Um, <clears throat> uh, so uh, that's, that's the gist of where we're going uh, today. We're going around the world. We're circumnavigating the globe today. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, I'm going to blitz through a couple of things. Uh, that each of which could probably be their own be their own class, but I think that there's a lot of human history that can be defined and explained by hunger, um, by fear of hunger, fear of famine. Um, it seems like many times, in the, particularly in the Old Testament, when God wants to, when the storyteller, when the documenter wants to get <coughs> get our attention, they start off with and there was a famine in the land, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, and each each big thing where God shows up and God's people cry out to him, almost always uh, there's a famine in the land. Abraham goes to Egypt uh, in early in Genesis. Isaac doesn't go to Egypt, but he goes to Beersheba a little bit later. But hey, we're back in Egypt again, and it's Joseph this time. <clears throat> in early Genesis, Egypt was identified as those people who kind of figured out how to be a little bit drought resistant, right? They were canal builders. They were irrigators. If they had a dry season, they didn't necessarily all die because they weren't dependent solely on the rain. Uh, they built they built canals. Uh, the story of Joseph about the seven years and the, and the seven years of good and the seven years of, of, of hunger um, is, is to a large extent the story of Egypt's ancient that they had the political will and the ability and the smarts to say, let's build granaries and let's store uh, store the 
let's let's cut back a little bit and save it for later. Um, in Ruth, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Boaz, and his wife had two sons. The entire book of Ruth starts about um, hungry, hungry people. King David uh, in 2 Samuel uh, talks about uh, hunger in the land. Elijah announces that there's going to be a drought, and Elisha also works through a famine. Um, <coughs> Babylon captured Jerusalem during a famine, um, is mentioned. When they come back from being in Babylon and being in Persia, and Nehemiah is, is uh, trying to get the wheels back on, um, they're hungry. Uh, what do we do uh, as far as the people goes when, uh, when our children are starving to death? I mean, ask yourself, this, we, are, we aren't very removed from times where this happened, but from a, from a timeline standpoint, but it just seems like a completely different world to us. Um, what, what would happen if the people that we love were dying slowly because they could not get the calories and the nutrients that they, that they needed? Um, it explains a lot of, uh, of what people do. Kevin? Yeah. Uh, don't you think most times, though, we read this, especially read this, we just read this in the context of Israel rather than the whole geography of that whole area was doing it right. <clears throat> so there were just so many more people that were being affected than just what we read about. Just than just what we read about. And, and then you have these, these regional stressors that happen that very rarely does a drought just afflict a New Jersey-sized country. Like usually it's a it's a region. Very rarely does a uh, uh, a potato blight affect just a county of Ireland, right? It affects a region. Um, uh, so uh, very rarely does plagues of locusts, um, <coughs> which is why that hit so hard. So that hit home with the Egyptians so hard is that um, they had the water, but then if you have a breeding ground for insects that can just eat everything at once. You, you have wind up with stressors and you have you have uh, entire nations who are like, listen, if, if, if I don't cut your throat, you're going to cut mine. Right. Right. <clears throat> um, more recent famines, I just mentioned Ireland. Uh, we've all heard about that. Um, two, uh, maybe a couple million people died uh, in Ireland. Uh, many more uh, migrated to the United States. If you really want to get upset, um, uh, read about the fact that Ireland was exporting food during this time. Um, how in the world is that possible? And, and it's because they were a sort of a uh, colony of, of England. And so there were, there were productive farms uh, that were growing food and exporting it uh, for profit to other places. The red is places where population dropped, um, and you see that you know, most, of, most of Ireland during that decade lost 20 or 30 percent of their population um, because they were hungry and, and they, were, they were dying. Um, uh, in the Soviet Union, uh, uh, one of the ways that they exerted power over people was by uh, uh, restricting 
ways of making farming much more inefficient. Um, I'm going to make people move and migrate to different places simply because they can't live there. Oh, you want to stay there? Okay, you can die. That's Fiddler on the Roof. That's what Fiddler on the Roof is about, that, that during that time. Um, <clears throat> some people put the numbers <coughs> much higher than 6 million uh, during that time. Um, <clears throat> this was just a couple of generations before us. Um, there, there, there are pictures of that. Um, in, in World War II, <coughs> this is Bigfoot. You know, uh, Japan tried to starve China. Uh, England tried to stop the Japanese advance by a slash and burn policy of we're not going to let them, we're not going to let the Japanese come west into India. Uh, they're going to pay a price if they do. And I can argue military strategy all day, but two, somewhere between two and four million people in the Bengal state of India died of starvation um, because of that policy. Um, and Winston Churchill, who I think is one of the more pivotal figures of the, of the 19th century, 20th century, um, uh, if you, if you, you, you can read some of the most uh, uh, encouraging, motivating speeches that he gave, and you can read just horrific things that he said about people, about human beings. Um, referring to Gandhi as if that skinny little man is still alive. Um, and it's just, it's like, that's just, I, 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 want, I want there to just be good guys and bad guys, right? But we're just not, we're not offered that. Um, it's not that simple. Uh, in China, uh, the people were uh, hungry, so uh, Chairman Mao said, "We're gonna, we're going to collectivize all of our farms, and we're gonna, uh, we'll, we'll step in, we'll take care of this." And so, a few thousand years of subsistence farming was uh, changed with a, an attempt at agribusiness um, that didn't work, um, and, and part of that. Uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, that there were, uh, let's see, it was a type of sparrow that he did not want there. So they drove, they had people out in the farms driving away the sparrows. Well, the sparrows ate the insects um, that, uh, that if the insects weren't there, then the crops could grow. All of a sudden, the stuff that ate the insects weren't there anymore, and so the insects just bloomed, blossomed. They had a plague of locusts or some sort of a blight. And somewhere, <coughs> records are sketchy, 40, 50 million people died of starvation. In, and this is in the 50s and the 60s. Um, you know, not, 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 not that long ago. Very recent famines. Um, that's a picture of me in Sudan. Uh, that's a, that picture is Kevin making sure he's never elected to public office. Um, um, it, it is it is remarkable to be in a place where people are starving. Um, Steve has a Steve has a uh, saying, and I, I don't know if it's true, but I it I want it to be true so bad. I'm just going to say that it's true that there's never been a famine in a country with a free press. You know, and that kind of makes some intuitive sense. That if you have a country who wants to just say there's no problem here, there's no problem here, people don't respond to the problem. 
but if you have a problem, if you have a if you have a free press, you can say, listen, there's a problem. We, we need to work on this. Um, it gets worked on, um, and that's a that's a good thing. But there's a problem here. Uh, the problem was a drought, um, but it was a human-made problem, as in most of the most of the famines that we've had uh, in the past century, whether it's Stalin or Mao or <clears throat> these guys here. Um, it's a it's a human problem uh, to a large extent, a human exacerbated problem for sure. Flying out from a abandoned airport that was shot full of holes. The only other airplane on the on the ground was the World Food Program, dropping off bags of rice um, so that people could live for a few more days there. <coughs> um, uh, very recent famines. Uh, the root of the Syrian crisis had to do with a famine, a a uh, a hunger in a regional drought in southern Russia, Ukraine, northern Iraq, and Syria. The price of bread skyrocketed to ten times what it was. Uh, people started complaining during the uh, during the uh, Islamic Spring and. Uh, the government didn't respond well. They were bombing bread lines to keep people in line, and you wind up with refugee centers like that uh, that may or may not still be uh, still be standing. <coughs> hunger, uh, hunger, and the fear of hunger motivates us to do uh, to do lots of things. Um, so, uh, I'm going to do 1,500 years of history here in just a few bullet points. <clears throat> Constantine converted to Christianity around 313 A.D. Uh, I always like to point out that uh, that um, uh, if, if we aren't a Christian nation, then we will surely fall. Rome fell just a century after becoming a Christian nation. Um, Rome fell in 476 A.D. Um, America can't collapse. We're as powerful as ancient Rome. <laughs> <coughs> the church... Uh, uh, I, I can make an argument that the church, as we define it, flourished when it was under persecution. Um, when, it be, when, when it became political, somewhat in the year 300, uh, very much more so in the year 800, when Charlemagne was crowned emperor and, uh, and de facto pope uh, at that time, uh, it, it, it really got very, very messy for several, several centuries. During that time, this is where I'm going to tie us back to hunger. During that time, uh, travelers were going back and forth to Asia. If you remember Asia, the biggest economies on the planet were over that direction. Um, and you had a bunch of Europeans just basically going around saying, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. Um, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead. And, and so they were going and, and trading and getting uh, getting things like silks and spices that literally were worth their weight in gold. Um, you had markups of somewhere around a thousand percent for some items. It was well worth their while to go down the Silk Road, cross through the Mongolian Empire, and cross past the Huns uh, and get uh, get back to Venice um, and uh, and get get goods up into Europe. Marco Polo, we've heard of. Uh, they were looking. Uh, there, there were missionaries going 
try, imagine being a missionary to Genghis Khan. Okay, there were people who were missionaries to Genghis Khan. If you're nervous about talking to your neighbor uh, about <laughs> about church, and stuff, go be a missionary to Genghis Khan. Um, uh, uh, people make a lot of money trading spices. Think about the Merchants of Venice. That's uh, uh, the merchant. There was a merchant. Uh, I said Marchant, but uh, uh, the merchant was uh, was trading in spices that had come from come from India and these spice islands, the stuff that we heard of, but nobody could really find on a map um, where they where they have nutmeg and black powder and cloves. Why do if you're in Europe in the 1300s, why do you want those things? status yeah why do we why do any of us want things status right um they use spices for medicinal purposes for medicine yep the the main reason that people were wanting those spices what had to do with uh medicinal purposes in the sense of food purposes food preservation purposes that you can you, you can take black pepper as a preservation for meat all of a sudden you get these ways of keeping meat through the winter uh, or through the summer or whenever you need to be keeping the meat. Um, you're buffering yourself against the, and there was a famine in the land being written about you. Um, so it's very, very valuable to, to, get, these, uh, to get these items. Uh, a big setback plague uh, in the, in the mid-1300s. That is a picture uh, of a story I found from November of last year. <coughs> of bubonic plague in China, um, which uh, uh, I guess I sort of realized that bubonic plague was still around, but it's just disconcerting to, to read about that. Um, was there a case in Arizona a couple years ago? Yeah, I, that's, what, that's what the story was about. It's like, you thought this, you know, you, you want to be concerned about current things. Don't forget about the ancient things to be concerned about as well. The plague killed somewhere between one-third and two-thirds of the human beings in Europe during those two um, just, just a giant uh, reduction in, in population. If you're the Catholic Church and you are in charge of ministering to people, um, this is hard to explain. Pope Clement VI actually, I think, reacted fairly well a little late from, a, from an epidemiological standpoint. Um, priests give last rites. If you are sick, you want a, a person of faith to come pray over you, to lay hands on you, to administer last rites to you. That, that's, what, that, that's their job. That's what they signed up to do. With the bubonic plague, if you do that in this house and then you go next door, all you have done is you have spread plague from one place to the next, and then you become a carrier yourself. Um, the death rate of priests during the plague was somewhere in the 70 to 80% range. The entire clergy died during this time frame. And they wound up, oh, and Pope Clement finally said, listen, everybody who's dying of plague, I, I'm going to absolve all of your sins and you're just going to heaven. So stop, stop asking for last rites. I'm, I'm, and we can have a theological debate about whether a pope can absolve people of sins. I, I get that. But he, there was a realization that th this is spreading. There's nothing that we can do about it. 
Um, instead of giving people the last rites, throw them in the river and just get them away from the village. And that's exactly what they did. The Roman River became a giant, uh, uh, became a giant graveyard for people. Um, and uh, uh, and you wound up with a clergy uh, that was very new and green. Um, and during this time, you had people like Wycliffe, and you had the Canterbury Tales being written. You had people who were already critiquing the church and critiquing the ways that the church does things. And then you wind up with a church that is that is a, that is a junior varsity squad. Um, and they, they don't. It becomes a point where they say, you know what? Just shut up and follow the rules. Shut up and follow the rules. Even more so than what they had been for the previous few hundred years. Um, so there's the printing press that comes up. Yes, I read The Onion. That's where I get all my news from. Um, uh, by far the best invention of the printing press. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but into the midst of this, you get the application of something that was invented in Asia, and you have, uh, uh, you have Martin Luther uh, mass-producing a critique of the church. And the church said, we can't put this genie back in, in the bottle here. Um, and then at the same time, uh, as the theological world is getting bigger, the, uh, ex the, the literal world is getting bigger. Magellan goes around the world. Why is Magellan going around the world? Because there was an arbitrary line drawn right here called the line of demarcation in the late 1490s where the Pope said, all right, Portugal, you get everything on this side of the line. Spain, you get everything on this side of the line, which is why Brazil speaks Portuguese, but the rest of the New World spoke Spanish, because Brazil stuck out past that line. Uh, Portugal was thrilled about that, because they were like, all right, awesome, we're closer to the Spice Islands, and so you get Vasco da Gama and a few other things, we're going to go around Africa, and we're going to go get those riches. Uh, Spain says, you know what, Columbus gave it a shot, but Magellan, we want you to, to, to go the other way, because we think that, that the gap between the New World and the Spice Islands is only just hundred miles, you should be fine. Um, <laughs> it didn't work. It, it didn't work. Uh, uh, Magellan in 1519 sets off. Uh, he winds up spending winter in the uh, uh, in uh, the Straits of Magellan near Argen uh, in Argentina. Uh, goes through a bunch of storms and waves, loses uh, three of his five ships along the way. He gets out to the Pacific and it's calm and he calls it the Mar Pacifico. That's why it's now the um, and he thought, all right, we're going to be here for just a little bit. Well, three or four months later, they finally hit land again. Um, and they land in the Philippines uh, right before Easter. Um, and, uh, and on Easter Sunday, there's the first mass uh, that is celebrated, observed in the Philippines that, uh, that day. We can say what we want about the explorers and the greedy, terrible, Europeans, uh, and I can have that discussion with people. I promise you I can have that discussion. I do think that that is special, that, um, that they were after riches. They were after secure. They were after food security there. Um, but they still took, a, took time uh, to, uh, to observe mass in the, in the Philippines. On the wrong day, I might add, because they'd already crossed the international dateline. They just didn't know it. Um, <laughs> um, when was that established? 
the international dateline. Uh, I I had a whole thing in here. I got I went down a really weird rabbit hole. Somebody was talking about the international dateline is of the mark of the beast, and uh, and it's not it's not biblical. And I'm like, this is a great article here. You've got lots of free time. Um, uh, and uh, 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 that was that. That was actually the, the, the zigzagginess of it has actually still been moved a little bit uh, in very recent years. But uh, I, think it, I think it was in the later 1800s um, when, when the actual location of the line. Um, but it's a big deal. Like if you, if you need to know what day is, if it's really important to you to know what day is the Sabbath day, um, then knowing you know, what time is it right now in Jerusalem or in Mecca uh, it, it becomes a big deal. All right, I'm going to show you this uh, because I've talked way too much. He landed in the Philippines uh, in a place called uh, Hamanhan Island, the location of Magellan's Landing uh, right there. Uh, uh, Manila is up there, uh, far north of there. They were glad to, to be on, on land uh, and actually get some vegetables in their bodies. The first uh, mass on Easter Day, Easter Sunday, 1521, uh, was just across the bay there. Um, I'm going to close you with this. But there's a place called Busali, not very far from here. Um, uh, and good things happen there. Uh, good people go there. Um, in uh, 2013, I misspelled Haiyan, but there was a, the, the largest typhoon that this planet has seen, strongest typhoon this planet has seen from a barometric pressure standpoint, goes through that area with flooding, landslides, thousands of people were killed. Um, uh, a, a, an area was, was just devastated by a landslide. Um, we have the ability to conquer people. We have the ability to step back and just do things for people. Um, but uh, having the forethought and the calling to do things with people, I think, is the lesson that we get from the age of conquest uh, mixed in with the word of God, is that we don't do things to people anymore. And we go out of our way to not just do things for people, but doing things with people, with the other Eight billion people who were created in the image of God, um, and uh, there's, 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 there's a couple of people in this room uh, who are responsible for giving clean water uh, to a couple of thousand people uh, in this area right here. Only, only a rock throw from the first location that a European set foot in the Philippines. Um, and and there's part of me that thinks that. If we want to talk about the bad things that we have done and the, and the uh, short-sightedness, I think there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking that can go on there. But we are where we are. We aren't offered the we aren't offered the option of choosing who is our neighbor. Right? We we aren't offered the option of getting to say you're our neighbor, you are not our neighbor. Um, our neighbors are all around this globe. They are the 8 billion other images of God here. And if we don't use our science to help, that is a misapplication, a misengineering of that science. If we aren't using our 
logo our word to help that is a misapplication and a misengineering of our scripture. Um, uh, I think this is really important stuff. I think it's important to understand our history uh, because I think that if we could rewind the clock, maybe we would have done things a little bit differently in the 1500s. Um, and maybe, maybe when you see images like that, that's a little bit of a rewinding of that clock. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. So thanks for coming.